You're listening to She Starts Up, episode number seven. Today I'm talking with Heather Whaling, president and founder at Gebbin Communication. She's an advocate for women's equality, paid leave, and a mother of a five-year-old boy. Tune in to hear how Heather brings business ideas into her family life and why she thinks the term supermom is an unrealistic goal. You're listening to She Starts Up, a podcast for ambitious businesswomen and modern working moms to learn strategies for starting their venture and family at the same time. Tech CEO and working mom Janine Sickmeyer will help you find your perfect work-life balance with motherhood hacks, insider business tips, and interviews with successful women. Here's your host, Janine Sickmeyer. Let's start up. Hi, everyone. I am so inspired by my guest today. Heather Whaling is president and founder of Gevin Communication, a communications firm in Columbus, Ohio. She was also recognized as EY's Entrepreneur of the Year for her commitment to paid leave, and she's a mother of a curious five-year-old boy. I've been friends with Heather for years, and one of the things that's always inspired me about her is that she involves her son in her business and achievements to show him what it's like to be a strong working woman. So Heather, tell us about yourself, your background, and what you're up to. Hey, Janine. Thanks for having me on. So I, like you said, I am the um, founder and president of a PR agency. It's called Gavin Communication here in Columbus. I've got 27 people who work for me. And then I'm also, I try to be really involved in the community, whether it is advocating for um, paid leave policies or whether it's um, serving on the board of the Women's Fund of Central Ohio, or I'm also a, um, appointed by the mayor to the Columbus Women's Commission. So I try and do a lot around um, gender equality and helping women um, achieve economic uh, financial stability and economic independence and um, workplace policies that allow um, women to stay in the workplace and thrive in their careers. I love that. I so what is it that you're doing with um, paid leave specifically at Gebbin? So we, um, in April of 2016, rolled out our paid leave policy here at Gebbin. It's called Gebbin Loves Families. We provide 10 weeks of paid leave to all new moms and new dads, whether they give birth or adopt. Plus, we have then a two-week transition period to help ease that period of getting back to work. And that full time, we pay 100% of their salary. So. Um, they don't ever have to um, worry about if they have a job to come back to or if they'll get paid for that time out of the office. Um, I think it's really important that people can take that time with their family. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And it also allows for the the mother and father, you know, to both have the same amount of um, time with the child. And really, like, when the dad is the only one who goes back to work, it's showing the child that, you know, the, the mother's job isn't as important, um, in my opinion. And, uh, I, I think that's really great to be able to, um, just offer that as, you know, for your company. And I, I hope others in the community and, um, you know, other people in Columbus are, are picking this up and, and doing the same. Yeah, it's been really great. So I, um, put the, we put the policy in place about you know three some odd years ago, three or four years ago. Um, and when when I was doing it, I was doing a lot of research trying to understand the issue. It's interesting. Only 13% of American workers actually have access to paid family leave, which means that most people, when they have a child, if they don't show up at work that next day, they're not getting paid, and they could be fired from their job. 
And that just, to me, seemed like a shameful way to run a business. So I knew that I wanted to put a policy in place. And a lot of the advocacy work I do is around um, advocating for either a statewide or a federally funded policy so that right now... When I, when I have somebody who takes leave as a small business owner, I have to self-fund that. I have to pay their entire salary that time. And it's important to me. So I have budgeted for it and figured out how to make it work. But I know there are a lot of other business owners who make that hard. So we need some sort of like almost like an insurance program or something that people could pay into. Um, but yeah, to your point about the dads, you know, as I was thinking about the policy and thinking about the work that I do advocating for women and equality, it was really important to me that our policy reflected those values. Um, and, you know, so I think that policy where moms and dads have, or dads don't have equal time or have significantly less time says that mom is the primary caretaker and dad's job is more important. And certainly there was no way like a company of mine was going to reinforce that very antiquated gender norm. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I love that. I would love to implement a policy like that into into our business as well. And I know it's all about um, budgeting and just trying to find, you know, the the way to make it work and that any, anyone can, um, mm-hmm. you know, given the, the right um, organization. So, yeah, that's just, that's fascinating. So um, tell me what prompted you to start Gavin Communication? When did you start it? And, um, you know, how, how has it been going? How's the growth of your, of your business? So I started Gavin in December of 2009. And at the time I was living in Orlando. I was the director of PR for an agency there. And it was around when social media got to be a thing. And so um, we had clients who were starting to ask about social media and what is it and how does it relate to PR. And apparently I was the geekiest person in the office. Um, so they told me, go figure out like, what is Facebook and Twitter and why are people asking us? And more importantly, how do we sell services around it? So I started a blog on PRTini on Twitter and I had a blog that don't look at it now. I haven't updated it in a very long time, but I'm pretty active still on Twitter. Um, so started a blog and a Twitter account and was working with nonprofits who also wanted to experiment with that intersection of PR and social media. And as I was sharing what I was learning online, I got invited to go speak around the country talking about what traditional and digital PR could look like. Through that, I was able to learn a lot about what other agencies were starting to do in the social space and thought I'd identified a real growth opportunity for that agency. So I scheduled a meeting with the partner in charge of business development there and made a case of why I thought we should you know, invest more heavily in social media and how it could be this really great opportunity for the agency. And I'll never forget, he looked at me and said, no one here is going to make money off of social media. Yeah, right. So I, and I was like, oh, Okay. So I realized that was probably a pretty short-sighted view and probably not a great fit for me long-term. And so it was really like that nudge I needed. I'd been there for five years. It was that nudge I needed to start thinking about what was next. Um, And I realized that there was an opportunity. I could start my own business. Um, So I ended up moving. I moved from uh, Orlando back to Columbus, where I'm from. Started Gavin in December of 2009. And since then, it's been great. So um, I took a little bit of a leap and thankfully it paid off. Those first few years, we had like normal, reasonable growth. And then over the past couple of years, we've really from like four or five employees, um, probably about five years ago to now we have 27 employees. Um, and our clients are this really interesting mix of everything from startups and emerging brands and nonprofits to Fortune 100 um, retailers and medical companies. 
So it's a really great, diverse group of clients that we get to work with, but they all share this common thread of wanting to be more innovative around their communication and accelerate growth of their organization or their company through smarter, more creative communication. Yeah, that's awesome. I have been... I've just loved following you since the beginning of when I met you. So um, just seeing your growth in the past few years has been really fascinating. So, um, yeah, so I know you work with startups and what are some of your favorite startup productivity hacks that you've um, brought home? Are there any kind of, you know, checklists, family meetings, anything like that, that you can think of um, that you've been able to bring to your family life that um, you've used in your business or, you know, helping other startups kind of get on their feet um, in the communications world? Yeah. So I read a book um, a few years ago called uh, The Secret of Happy Families. And it was really, really helpful. It was by an author named, I think it's Bruce Feller, maybe. I don't know exactly how to say it, but um, Filer, Feller, something like that. But the idea is basically he looked at what are all these different principles that work so well in the business space and how can, you, how can you apply that then to your own family life? And for me, so Evan, my son's only five, so it's probably a little early for us to be doing like family meetings and that kind of stuff. But um, there are some of the things that we have started incorporating. So we have our family values. That's something that we had done um, probably about a couple years ago, I think. And it was a really great process. And we did it just like how if you own your company and you were coming up with values, you'd do like an off-site retreat and you would talk about it and then you'd come up with the values. And so we went to a little local like bakery and we got some pastries and he had steamed milk and that explains like, you know, at a very basic level, what our values and what are the things that we think are important. And then together we co-created our family values. And so we have five of them and we talk about them all the time. And it's been a really good way, I think, for us for us both to stay grounded and what are the things that really matter to us above all. So our family values are show love, be grateful, play silly, um, make quality time and feel your feelings. And so those five things we are really able to then kind of build everything else around those. So that's probably the biggest piece I would say of sort of work life coming home thus far. But um, he's he's exposed to a lot of other kind of elements of the business. That's what I do, you know, all day, every day. Um, and so I think for him, as he continues to get older, like I love the idea of having some kind of family meeting, like each week just to touch base, especially like as the schedule gets busier and all that kind of stuff. But um, for now, I would say the values piece is probably the biggest one. The other thing that we talk about a lot that I talk about at the office and I talk about it at home. So I believe that if you have an ability to help, that you have a responsibility to help. So Geben, the name of the company, is called um, means to give in German. We do a lot of work with nonprofits in the community and pro bono work and serve on committees and boards and that kind of stuff. And I talk about that a lot at home with Evan also that we're very fortunate in our life, which means we have a responsibility then to do good. And so that kind of shows up in a bunch of different ways throughout the year. Um, but that that idea of you know building a company to serve a bigger purpose, there's also that idea, I think, of, of how can your family serve a bigger purpose, whether it's in your neighborhood or your community or your city or your state, whatever that is. Yeah, I love that. And we're even trying to figure out um, with our family how to involve the children in some of the things that you know we did before um, having them and a lot of volunteer work. And I, I do that as well, um, with, with next chapter, but 
I am having a harder time, you know, trying to figure out for a, a two-year-old and and um, an almost three-year-old how to involve them in in some of that. So, do you have any tips or any ideas of, um, you know, younger children? Um, how, how have you and Evan um, worked on volunteering or giving back um, as he was while he was younger? So even just little things. So when he um, outgrows clothes, which, you know, obviously like young kids grow very quickly, we're constantly outgrowing clothes. Or um, if there is, you know, as we're bringing new toys in for birthdays or Christmas, we need to get rid of some of those toys. And so we'll set a box out and then have a conversation around where we'd be lucky that we can have new toys or that we can go buy new clothes. But there are lots of kids who don't have the ability to have new toys all the time. And so let's go through your toys and put toys in the box that you don't play with anymore or you don't need. And then we're going to take those toys and donate them. And so we've donated frozen toys to, um, there's a program, the women's prison here, um, especially when they were really little, there's the program in the women's prison here. I think if the baby is born while the mom is in the hospital and the mom is breastfeeding, they have a space where the baby and the mom can stay together but they obviously don't have a lot of like baby clothes and baby toys. We donated there. We've done stuff through like the YMCA every year at the holidays. We adopt a family through like the, I think we've done the YMCA the last couple of years. We've also done this with choices and gone through their um, wish list with the local domestic violence organization. And we'll like go to target and I'll explain to him, like we're buying these presents for other kids who don't have it. And even at a really, really young age, he was able to understand, um, broadly I think what that means and even if he can't grasp like the specifics of it I love that it's part of a tradition that he understands is just how we live our life is by doing good for people Mm -hmm. who don't have as much as we have I love that I I also saw just recently on your um Instagram stories this uh this gratitude jar and I feel like that kind of that may fall into a similar um mindset you know of of giving back and and appreciating what you have. And so tell us about how you came up with that. What, what is that idea and like what it means to you guys? Yeah. So last year was our first year doing the gratitude jar and we start um, on October 15th and basically do it the month or so leading up to month and a half or so leading up to um, Thanksgiving. And so I go by like fun paper and then we have this big jar and every night as we're getting ready for bed, we sit down and we take a couple minutes and just think about what are we grateful for that day? And we both do it. So he'll tell me what he's grateful for and I'll write it down for him. And then he folds up the paper and puts it in the jar. And then I'll share with him things that I'm grateful for that day um, also. And then we end up with this like huge jar of all these really fun things that we're grateful for. And then on Thanksgiving morning, we um, light the fire in the fireplace and we dump out the jar and the first thing we do on Thanksgiving morning is read what were all the things we were grateful for within the past month. Um, and I love it because it's just such a nice tradition for us. It's a nice way every day to have a couple minutes where we could be grateful. But then on Thanksgiving, I love that we have this tradition um, where it's not just about like the food and the football. It's really like, what do we have to be thankful for? Let's, re- let's reflect on that together and use that to sort of set the tone for the rest of the day. That's so great. I really want to steal this idea because do it. It's so fun. (laughs) It sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, you know, my youngest won't get it, but I know that um, my three-year-old will definitely take to it because she's, you know, I mean, she kind of, we do, um, what are you grateful for every night? And she Mm kind of says the same thing every night. It's hugging mommy, you know, hugging daddy. I'm like, okay, that's wonderful. But you know, what about, 
you know, that grandma came over and that she mm-hmm. loves you, you know, and trying to um, kind of get her to say something new. Um, and then she yeah. likes to be silly, but it's, you know, I think maybe, maybe she's a little too young, but I love that it's actually tangible that you can write it down, put it in the jar and then, you know, reflect back on it. And it's not just, um, talking about it. It's there's, there's more to it. So yeah, that's, yeah. It was also fun. So I decided to keep all the pages. So what you saw on my Instagram stories was I had gone, um, they were all still in the jar from last year. And so I was getting ready to do it this year and I took them all out. And it was so nice. It was one night after we'd gone to bed and I just took them out and sat and read all the things that we were grateful for last year. And it was so interesting to just look back and see like at last year at that time in our life, what were the things that mattered to us? Yeah. Um, and so he was four then. So he was, you know, pretty well able to express himself. And it was everything from like dance parties to hugging and playing and he listed his friends or pizza or you know yeah. going for walks or our neighborhood but it was really cool to see all the stuff that he was thankful for so what I decided I'm going to do is keep them each year so I have a little like bag in his room that I put like yeah. birthday cards in or the Christmas cards he gets that kind of stuff and so I keep a lot of that kind of stuff for him so I'm going to do the same thing with these and as he grows up I'll just kind of clip each year together and so then as he grows up we could look back together and see you know what were you grateful for when you were four years old versus what are you grateful now you know if you're seven years older as you get older oh that's such a great idea and then you can kind of like you know as as he gets older if he's you know if there's some point where you kind of phase out of it maybe when he's 18 then you're like here you go you've been you know grateful for all of these things over the over the years that's so fun I love that I am definitely gonna gonna take that idea and try it um with you know with ours so I know Heather you and I we we've talked before about um how a lot of business moms fear asking for help and they they think that you know it may make them look weak so explain the power of asking for help as a as a mother um who should a busy mom be asking help from and what's your take on that? I had to learn, I think, early on to really appreciate the value of time. Um, I think when you own your own business or if you bill your time by the hour or if you're just a, you know, a busy person who's trying to have, figure out how do you maximize your time, you start to really think about it differently. And so I think that as women, we have to be more realistic about talking about how our lives actually come together. It's so easy to look at someone's like Instagram or Pinterest and think they're this perfect mom who has it all together. But in reality, like no one can just be a parent on their own. Like everybody has to have some sort of help, whether it's like a neighbor or a friend calling to check in on you or bigger types of help. So my, um, you know, in addition to running a business, I'm also a single mom. So my husband and I got divorced when Evan was really, I mean, he's only five now, but a couple of years ago when he was really young. Um, and so, you know, his dad thankfully is here and is very active in his life, but it's still every night and every morning I am responsible for getting Evan, you know, up and out of the house or, or down for a bed or whatever. So um, it's just not possible to do it all by yourself. So I think it's okay to say you have, you know, people who come and clean your house for you. Because for me, I had the choice of, do I want to spend a couple hours on Saturday cleaning my house or do I want to use that time and spend it with my son? And for me, it was worth the cost to be able to spend the time with Evan. Um, 
little things like thinking about food. Like I am not the person who's going to spend a bunch of time on weekends and do like meal prep for the week. And so we use Plated, which is one of the meal delivery services. So we have a couple meals a week delivered to us and, and I still make it. And so Evan and I can still have the experience of cooking together, but I don't have to ever spend time thinking about what recipe do I want? Do I have the ingredients? That kind of stuff. So it saves a lot of time and allows us to still eat healthy instead of like eating out every single night. Um, I do. I use a lot of subscription stuff. So I do the like Amazon subscribe and save. I use Stitch Fix for my clothes. So I don't have to think about like going to the mall all that often and buying clothes. Um, there's just a lot of different ways. But then also what I had to learn is be okay. Sometimes asking someone else to watch your child. Like sometimes if you need to leave the your child with grandparents or a friend or a babysitter, it's okay. Um, it was a hard thing, you know, I think sometimes a lot of times moms, especially if they're working, have some of that guilt around like, well, if I'm not at work, I should be at home with my kid. But there's also that piece of taking care of yourself and making sure you have the time to disconnect and recharge your own batteries. And so whether that means you go grab dinner with a group of girlfriends or you go grab a, get a massage or get your nails done or whatever, you go for a run or, or go for a bike ride or yoga or whatever your thing is, it's okay to also ask for help so that you can take care of you. And I think that's really important that it allows, at least for me, it allows me to be a better mom um, than if I'm like burning the candle at both ends. Yeah, I completely agree with all of that. I have, I think since um, I became a mom, I've spent even more time uh, making, you know, doing the things for myself that I know make me a better mom when I'm with them. So I can be present when I'm with my kids, you know? So I, I do a lot of the same things. I'm like, I am not, I don't enjoy cooking. You know, I don't enjoy cleaning. I don't want to, you know, do these things that, that I know that other people are better at and, um, you know, that we can outsource. And so I try to do that as well. I just think that it's something that you learn a little bit over time though, as a new mom, you still feel like, well, I can do it all. And this, you know, this pride that you're like, I don't, I don't need the help, but yeah, I I think once you realize that you need, that you can ask for help and that's okay. I think that it, it kind of changes everything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's really like, it's very much a position of privilege, right? Like we are very fortunate that I'm able to hire someone to clean the house or that we are able to do, take advantage of some of these services that make things easier. So it's also that fine line of, I don't want Evan to be spoiled, right? So there's a balance of how do I make sure that he understands that there's privilege that comes with that, that, you know, not everybody has access to the same types of opportunities, but also, you know, time is valuable and how do you maximize your time? And sometimes Mm -hmm. that means if there's a cost associated with it, like it's it's an okay cost to spend. Yeah. And... And that that's what you're choosing to spend your money on, you know, that that's what you're choosing to, that you you work hard and these are the things that you value the, the time with your family. So yeah, I think, I think that makes sense. So I do think that there's still this mom guilt and, you know, like you mentioned, just seeing other women in business and working moms and, you know, startup moms online. And you're like, how are they doing all of this? And I I feel like the term super mom is a little bit, you know, overused that people try everything to, to be super mom. I mean, what's your take on the phrase super mom? And is it, is it okay for startup moms to admit that we aren't always perfect? 
I hate the term supermom. Like no one is a supermom and that's also an unrealistic goal. So I think it's putting this crazy amount of pressure on women to achieve something that is just not attainable. Like you'll never feel like you're actually being supermom because the reality is at some point there's a, a messy kitchen or there are emails that didn't get answered to, or there's a, a kid who's upset about something, right? Like you'll never actually feel like you've achieved super mom status. So I don't really understand why people put that label out there. And, and as, as if it's something that's attainable, I think it's much more important to think about what are the things that matter to you? Like, if you think about this idea of like, can you, can women have it all? Can moms have it all? I think it's important that we define what all means to us. Like my version of having it all is different than someone else's version of having it all. And that's okay. So I think we individually as moms or within your own family have to define what does having it all mean to you? And then what do you need to do to put that in motion and make it happen? And don't worry about what everybody else is doing. I had read somewhere, and I'm sure you've heard it, but this, this idea of don't compare your real life to someone else's highlight reel. I think there's a lot of comparison that happens if you're looking at someone's Instagram. You're like, oh my gosh, their kids are always perfectly dressed and clean and happy and no one's ever crying and the house is perfect. And like, that's just not reality. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. I had like such a wonderful night with my kids last night and the night before was a war zone, a complete messy, crazy war zone. Exactly, like, exactly. Well, I didn't have time to take a picture of the nonsense that was happening in our bathtub. Like, <laughs> just like, whatever. So yeah, no, I totally get that. So before I let you go here, what's your favorite piece of advice to, to working moms um, who, you know, kind of struggle with that family work-life balance and what can you, what can you say to help them out? I've done a lot of work over the last few years around the idea of like mindfulness and meditation and being really present. And I would say if you feel like you're having this internal conflict or tension and work-life balance guilt, spend some time thinking about like, what is the root cause of that guilt? Because you're doing just fine. Like you don't have to feel guilty about it you know, maybe there's some sort of imposter syndrome happening, or maybe you're putting too much pressure on yourself and you just have to release all of that negativity and just know that like you're doing the best you can and that is good enough. And don't worry about all the external noise. That's great. Great advice. And thank you so much for being on the show today. Where can our listeners find you online? Yep. So you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Piertini, P-R-T-I-N-I or at Heather Wynn on Instagram. Okay, great. Thanks so much, Heather, for joining us. And I hope to talk with you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you want to use any of the tools or resources I mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes on the blog for links. So subscribe to the podcast, She Starts Up, to stay in the loop and visit the website, monamejanine.com to sign up for my newsletter. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, Let's start up.